This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And yesterday, folks, uh, if you heard the show, we did talk, uh, we mentioned we were going to have uh, our buddy Brad on the show to talk a little bit about a project he had going on. What we didn't know is that we were also going to be joined by his co-host, David, and we're very lucky to have both of them here. Uh, gentlemen, it's really great to have you guys on, and uh, we just wanted to, we didn't really talk about the reason that you guys were on, because we wanted to let you reveal it for yourselves. Uh, Brad, can you tell us real quick our, uh, wh- why it is you're on the show today and what this uh, project is you have going on? Uh, yes, um, I'm a patron of yours, and I think when you've done the Lost World bonus episode for your patron, um, it sort of become clear that uh, you weren't going to be doing the whole series, and um, I think through a couple of PMs chatting to you, we uh, discussed that, and um, I asked if I could take over the mantle and continue the franchise and go into the Lost World, and here we are, um, four episodes in, and the Lost World Minute is born. That's, That's right, and uh, we're really excited about that too because, like with uh, Ghostbusters Minute, we never really had a plan to go into Ghostbusters Two, and it was kind of the just kind of the same for Jurassic Park. And I was really hoping that somebody was going to take it, you know, and and go with it because it's a movie that I think could definitely benefit from the minute by minute breakdown. So I was very happy to see you uh, that you guys wanted to take it on, and I love it so far. We're about I think yeah. what like five minutes in. Yeah, yeah, we're just uh, we'll be recording five and six after this, actually. Awesome. Oh, great! Yeah, so it's going to be an all-day of podcasting for you then. Huh? <laughs> it is. It started early. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing about podcasting. Once you start it, it just it just keeps going and growing, and all of a sudden, it's all you do anymore. You know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. So, could you tell folks where they can find uh, Lost World Minute? The website is thelostworldminute.com. Uh, you can go to the Facebook group, The Lost World Minute, and at The Lost World Minute on Twitter. Um, everything, all the links are on the website, so go check it out. We're on iTunes now, and uh, hit that download button. Awesome. Very awesome. cool. Very cool. Uh, really happy to have you guys on here, and uh, you know, when we heard about the show a couple weeks ago, we were pretty excited about it. We were like, well, do we want to mention it You know, at the end of our show so people will jump right into it? But we figured since you guys were you know, already five episodes in, it was time to go ahead and have you on. And you know, people can listen to two podcasts at once, so it's uh, <laughs> just <laughs> download them and, and make uh, a day of it, so... Yeah, well, you guys got me under the minute-by-minute minute, um, format. I've got about six on the go at the moment. Um, oh, wow. Damn. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, Even uh, trying it's to keep up with up. one is a lot. Yeah. Especially like Back to the Future Minute where they got nearly a uh, quarter way through the third one. I've sort of halfway through the first one. I've decided not to listen to the second one just yet and keeping up with the third one. It just <laughs> it makes for a busy week. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, y'all want to go ahead and get into the minute? Yep, sure. Let's do it. In the previous minute, we saw Tim and Lex find a table set with all sorts of food. As the minute ended, Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler were reunited. At minute number 108, Lex and Tim are eating food in the Jurassic Park commissary. As Lex looks across the table at Tim, she notices something behind him. Lex stares straight ahead and freezes in fear, except for her spoon, which is violently shaking the jelly on it. At 10808, we cut to a shot of Tim staring straight at Lex. A shadow is moving behind Tim. He turns his head and sees that the shadow is that of a velociraptor. Tim turns back to Lex and gasps. At 108.16, we cut to a shot of the Jurassic Park kitchen. It is dark and vacant. 
Lex and Tim burst through the door and turn the lights off. They silently sneak across the room and hide behind a food prep station. At 108.30, we cut back to the kitchen door. The circular window is empty. After a few seconds, we see the nostril of a velociraptor appear. The raptor snorts and steams up the window with its breath. At 108.39, Tim moves back around the side of the cabinet to look at the door. At 108.44, we cut back to the kitchen window where the velociraptor's eye can be seen. The raptor again breathes out and steams up the glass. At 108.50, Tim recoils in fear. Lex holds him tight. At 108.52, we cut back to Grant, who cocks one of Muldoon's shotguns. He is in the utility shed with Hammond, Malcolm, and Ellie. Grant asks Ellie if it's just the two raptors and if the third one is still contained. And thus ends minute number 108 of Jurassic Park. So uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, off air a minute ago, but uh, it's really interesting that they open up the shot of the Velociraptor coming into the scene with a spoonful of shaking jello. It almost brings to mind the when the Tyrannosaurus Rex comes on that we have like, you know, the shaking water. And I'm sure that wasn't really the intention. Of course, the what we're trying to get across there is that Lex sees it before Tim does. And she's she's visibly shaken because of everything that's happened to the poor girl up until this moment in the movie. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting, uh, 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 like, illusion, if not uh, completely intended. So uh, one thing we were talking about in this minute uh, is that they really heighten the suspense of what's going on by minimalizing the amount of music that's actually in here. We just have kind of have onset audio, the sound of the raptor breathing, and not a whole lot of dialogue. But uh, Brady, whenever you saw this scene originally in the theater, were you? do you remember being particularly frightened by what was going on? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and... You know, primarily because the first indication that we get of trouble is Lex's expression. Uh, and that's before the, the jello, which really takes your attention. Um, and it's almost a little distracting to me, honestly. But her expression is just downright terrifying. Uh, very, very, very believable. And these poor kids, man, you know. I mean, everybody in this movie, they, they can't catch a break. But these kids specifically just really get the brunt of it. And... Uh, yeah, you see her expression, and then that's um, rewarded with you know by seeing what she is seeing, and that's the uh, the shadow over the over the wall over the glass. Yeah, and um, terrifying moment. Hmm. We also get one final look of that amber statue in the background that that's I've right. I've combed the deep dark world of the web, and I cannot find any reference to that at all. <laughs> so that was it's yeah. funny you bring that up because we did talk about that with uh, somebody else on Brady. Was that Brad Jost maybe who was on? We discussed that amber statue, yes. and at the time we didn't mm. really look a whole lot into it because you, you you don't get the best. I think when when we were talking about it was the scene where. Uh, Ellie and Hammond are sitting down uh, eating ice cream and you kind of see it there behind him for a second but it's one of the parts of this movie that m- remains the biggest mystery because clearly it's just like it's just a block of amber right that that's that's what it's supposed to be but it, at some shots it also kind of looks like a volcano a little bit you know but uh, there's almost yeah. nothing out there about this thing yeah it's um all the dining room shots it's always just out of focus behind the character's head and it's weird that there's so much attention given to it, yet there's no <laughs> no information yeah. about it. It's 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 very strange, and uh, you know one of the things that we were d- discussing too is that uh, it's funny that in a minute here, Tim and Lex run to the kitchen to hide, and the Velociraptor you know immediately follows them in there and completely passes up this smorgasbord of sweets that are left out, you know, <laughs> all these uh, cakes and pies and things like that. And instead of it, you know, like digging into that, it tries to chase them down. But I guess uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, kind of, I guess it's modus operandi is to follow the, the hot blooded meat <laughs> into the kitchen. So it doesn't have a sugar tooth. 
Yeah, one of the other things that I think makes the minute so intense, as with several other moments in this film, is the lack of music. Uh, it's it's there's no dialogue, there's no music, there's just a little kid's expression and then a shadow, and some and some jiggling jello, and that's all we need. And it creates a much more intense situation than I think having. Oh my God, Tim, look behind you. Oh God, Lex, I think it's a velociraptor. Oh God, we're going to run to the kitchen now. And then just this kind of, you know, building, crescendoing music. Uh, so, yeah, this, this film is a perfect example of how restraint can benefit you so much when it comes to overexposition, too much music, you know, trying to spell everything out for you. I, I really do miss the days of Alien when you didn't get any dialogue telling you where to look or what to be afraid of. Um, Kyle, you mentioned uh, uh, a while back um, a sound designer that you knew who worked on some Robert Zemeckis films who talked a lot about the importance of restraint and that Robert Zemeckis likes to experiment a lot with that. Um, what were some of the, the examples you were talking about again? Yeah, that was uh, Stuart McCowan, who was a sound designer for Skywalker Sound, uh, and he worked on like What Lies Beneath and... Uh, it had also worked on, excuse me, was, um, Castaway. Thank you. Yeah. Castaway, I think, right? Robert Zemeckis films. And one of the things that he was talking to us about when we were talking about Foley audio, and that's really what he does. You know, those guys that go along and they'll take like four or five sticks of celery and crack it in half. And that's supposed to be like somebody's arm shattering or something. <laughs> uh, very cool guy. And it seems like if you're, if you want to work on a movie, that's really the department to be in. Those guys just have fun with what they're doing all the time. But one of the things he was talking about in Castaway was that Robert Zemeckis is the kind of director who knows when to use a sound, the score or a soundtrack and when not to, when to let the movie just breathe on its own or have the uh, audio of what's going on in the scene kind of tell the story. So he was talking about on Castaway, there's virtually no music in that film at all. It's just uh, Tom Hanks on the island by himself and you get the sound of the sea, the sound of storms, the sound of wind blowing through. And that's kind of supposed to get to uh, be the surrogate for the score because, of course, you're. it's really weird how scores work. Because sometimes if we're in, you know, kind of like uh, an area that's a little bit more populated, uh, subconsciously we'll kind of like accept that there's music playing, you know. But sometimes if someone's out in nature by themselves, you don't really get that. I was talking about uh, also the Martin Scorsese film Silence that came out recently that has almost no score to it at all. The entire Mm -hmm. movie is just the sound of the sea and, you know, the wind blowing through Japan and crickets and things like that. And it, it really, it feels acceptable. But in this case, you know, you have a, a guy like Steven Spielberg who kind of him and Robert Zemeckis are buddies, you know, so they kind of have a lot of the same philosophies as far as filmmaking goes. They know when to use a score and when not to, when to have the John Williams pomp and circumstance come in and when to just let the scene breathe for itself. And this scene, they're really capitalizing and maximizing on the tension of Lex and Tim hiding. So Lex and Tim are hiding. They're trying not to make any noise. And as the audience, you almost put yourself in that situation. And, you know, you're holding your breath. It's like a character that's underwater and you hold your breath while you're watching it because you just kind of like put yourself in that situation. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, it took him about two weeks to shoot this scene in the kitchen. And one of the things Steven Spielberg said was that he wanted it to kind of mirror things that people saw in their own lives. Uh, so this kitchen is filled with a lot of like, you know, soup ladles and stuff like that that someone, you know, it's, it could possibly have in their kitchen. So when you see this stuff, it kind of brings you into the film world of what's going on at the time. So, yeah. Uh, great use, of, great great use of sound yeah, uh, to real and and no sound at all. Uh, excuse me, or no music at all to really maximize on the tension here. But uh, you know, David, we were talking off air for a second yeah. uh, about the uh, scene with the Velociraptor kind of like coming up and snorting into the window, and I think you had some thoughts on that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It's interesting how 
throughout the film there's this entire theme going on that dinosaurs aren't just the back in the 60s and 70s there's the dinosaur renaissance and they became this kind of idea that among scientists that dinosaurs weren't these slow sluggish beasts that they were actually these agile fast quick warm-blooded yeah. animals and I feel that Spielberg really wanted to portray that within his movies, as did Crichton with uh, Book, and that you get these dinosaurs that when they put their nose up the glass and they snort and they purr, they're, you can see the fro- you can see the glass fogging up from the condensation yeah, on their breath. So it creates this idea that to the audience, it projects to the audience the idea that scientists had that dinosaurs aren't just these big beasts, that they're these slow, um, that these, they're these fast, agile animals that we can and yeah, will and the, get the you. velociraptors are really the yeah. kind of the, 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 uh, the, the most extreme uh, component of that in the movie. These are like, you know, they say they're faster, you know, cheetah speeds. You know, they're smart, and we're about to find out that they can open up doors, too. So there's a lot of stuff going on here that kind of shows that this is a different type of predator. And, you know, we, we, we know it's smelling them, you know, we know it's, it's, it's following them in there, but when you do get that, you know, it's, it's a very small thing to, to the, the idea to put in that like air tube so they can blow the hot air out to steam up the window when it does that. But instantly you are getting, like you're saying there, David, uh, the fact that these are creatures that are not like anything else we've seen in the movie. This isn't the big lumbering animal. This is a fast predator and it's intelligent. And also it has, uh, the full scope of, uh, I guess, uh, evolutionary traits that have led it to that. It can smell where these kids are. It knows where they are, and uh, it's it's a little it's a little easy thing to put that tube in there I at the it. nostril and have it blow the hot air in. But it's little things like that that really stick out and are memorable in this movie. So, I love the um, you know, it, so of course you know later whenever the raptor is calling out for his partner to come to him, I th- I like to think that when he's snorts at the glass here it's him telling the kids like i see you in there like i'm i know where you are i'm coming for you and uh yeah so then um the minute ends with uh grant basically just looking like a complete badass with his shotgun and going over uh you know basically the rundown on how many raptors we have left we've been we've been um building all movie all film to the raptors and we've just seen him take out Muldoon, which we thought was Mm -hmm. the uh, biggest badass in the movie Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're sort of one-on-one with the kids, and you got to wonder how this is going to end. Um, it's yeah. it's interesting. Before we leave the old, now we've gone into the kitchen. Um, bit weird. It's only a service door in the side of the kitchen. There's no um, no waiter's door. No yeah. um, pass for food to go out of it. Yeah, or anything like well, that. Actually, there is. If you look at the blueprints for the. Uh and then if you look at the film, you can see there's actually two oh, doors on either end of before. the kitchen. Huh. How about that? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You kind of you see it when the raptor watches the... Uh, you'll see this later. When the raptor watches the kids leave the kitchen, it has that pan, uh, and it has, and you can see the door in the corner of the, in the yeah, other corner. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, too. They walk in and they shut the lights off. Again, we've been told that the joint's got no yeah. power, yet we're turning lights <laughs> off. Um, so I have to think all that ice cream was melting just because Hammond brought it out and sat it on the table. It wasn't a power issue. It was just he brought it all out and yeah, didn't like put it away. Like, oh, somebody's got to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Grant with a shotgun. That's just that's just great. Um, I don't know if he's used a shotgun before. They might have done skeet shooting out on the uh, dig on those uh, slow days. But um, 
Hammond's facing the wall with his head on the on the shelf. Um, I'm just wondering if he's thinking he should have hid the guns after Maldoon took one. Just uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Spielberg has a way of wrapping up an entire scene in one shot, and it could even last a couple of seconds with a couple of little bits of of word exchange. And you get Hammond over there doing his thing. He turns around. Ellie turns around. Grant's cocking the shotgun. Malcolm's sitting up. A couple of lines. Yeah. Boom. Done. Money saved. Uh, and you see that a lot in his movies. Uh, Jurassic Park especially. So it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, just a neat little way of tying up so much. Again, one of those moments where it's like we, we don't need a bunch of dialogue to explain what's going on, how many raptors there are, if they know how to open doors, etc. It's just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Let's get back to rappers chasing kids in a kitchen. Funny you bring up dialogue because I actually was watching a restored version of the Jurassic Park trailer earlier this morning. And it, there was actually an alternate take that was used in the trailer where Grant says uh, it was something like, are you sure that the kids are safe or something like that? When it, while he's cracking the shotgun versus... Huh. That's Are you sure it's just the yeah, two Yeah, I know that, that with Jurassic Park, we've, we've yeah. read that huh. Steven Spielberg tried to... One of the things he wanted to do was not obsess over uh, little things and do multiple takes, you know, to make sure that everything was consistent. And, you know, you see that because there's a lot of continuity errors in the movie, but I think his philosophy was that... Uh, he was coming off of Hook, and he wanted this movie to be a fun shoot for everybody, so they were just going to kind of have a good time and get it in on on uh, on schedule. So you do get a lot of weird stuff, like alternate takes, or you know, like somebody will be wearing a hat in one shot, and then the next shot they're not. You know, like little goose and stuff like that. But you know, one thing that we've and I, if uh, you know, I'm sure as you guys listen to the show, we've mentioned it really doesn't matter because yeah. you're having such a good time in the movie, you don't catch those little things. But it's interesting to hear about alternate takes or you know differences in dialogue. Uh, that may have been cut from the final version. So that's what I was going to ask about uh, what what version of the film this is that you got the clips from, because I was pretty sure there was a major flub when the raptors walk into the kitchen, where there's a handler's hand holding the animatronic yeah. raptor up. Yet I didn't see it at all. You know, that's funny. I, I had heard that as well, and then I've gone back and rewatched these minutes, and I can't find that hand anywhere uh, in anything. I've been looking for it, so I must be missing it. But yeah, I do know that there's supposedly a, a flub there. But it could also be, you know, we do know that uh, Steven Spielberg was famous for going back and taking guns out of E.T. and replacing them with walkie-talkies. So maybe he pulled a George Lucas and re-edited his own film before we got it. But uh, we'll have to find the old VHS or, uh, you know, Laserdisc version of Jurassic Park. And I've got to do it. See if we can find the hand on it. So. I'll admit, I've found it. I've, I've actually caught it uh, once. It's very, very blink as you miss, and it just happens right before the shot cuts. So it's it's almost uh, less than a second of it happening. Okay. Very cool. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, all right. Well, uh, does anybody else? We're going to go ahead because we're going to have you guys on for tomorrow as well. Uh, is there anything else anybody has for this minute? Uh, just the um, the Velociraptor sculpt, like the painting on the glass. Um, you'll talk in, in an earlier minute when we had the uh, Parasaur and that when Hammond was in there. It's just it's beautiful artwork and of all the things to bring back for Jurassic World. Yeah. Um, I'm glad yeah, it came definitely. back. It's, it's it's a it's a very cool reveal too of how we get that shadow just kind of slowly walking. It's uh you know that Lex sees first. It's a very very cinematic reveal of the effect of the Velociraptors back there. So, all right, gentlemen. Well, if that's everything, we're going to go ahead and head out for today, and we will be back tomorrow with uh, David and Brad for another episode. But real quick, Brad, can you just let everybody know one more time where they can find more about Lost World Minute on the internet? Our details are thelostworldminute.com. You'll find links to the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, I'm pretty sure the iTunes links on there as well. So go check it out. 
great. Well, thank you so much for being on. We're going to have you guys on tomorrow. Uh, this is uh, tomorrow's a, a little bit more to talk about as far as like design on Velociraptor and stuff. So it's going to be a real fun conversation. So we will see everybody tomorrow for David, for Brad, for Brady and myself, Kyle. Until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media. <laughs>